Selling is the profession where you can have the lowest education level and absolutely no training whatsoever and make a ton of money. Welcome to the Business Made Simple podcast brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network. I am your host, Donald Miller. Today, we're going to talk about selling. My friend Rory Clark is on today. Rory is the creator of Focus Selling. It's actually a framework that people all over the world use to close more sales. He's a consultant and he's got a very unique way to think about selling. Rory is slightly introverted like me, like many of you doesn't like the sleazy sales thing, but has been incredibly successful against all odds in closing really big sales. And he actually talked about some things that he does in the sales process that builds trust and actually gets the thing done. That is the sale actually goes through. If you think of sales as trickery and your conscience bothers you about that, that is a good thing because tricking people out of their money, I believe, is a moral and character fault. And I just don't think we should do it. If you would like to focus more on sales and specifically closing more sales, you're going to enjoy this conversation with my friend Rory Clark. If you have ever had an idea for this podcast, if you think there's something Business Made Simple could be doing differently on this podcast, something that would give you even more value, let us know. We are always dreaming up ways to make this podcast more valuable for you. So you can do that by taking our new survey. It is at businessmadesimple.com slash survey. When you go to businessmadesimple.com slash survey, you answer some questions. We take your incredibly valuable feedback. We metabolize it and we change the podcast to serve your needs even better. And listen, if you do it by Friday, September 15th, you're going to be automatically entered to win a $50 Amazon gift card. That's $50 on Amazon. Take the survey at businessmadesimple.com slash survey. And thank you, thank you, thank you for making the Business Made Simple podcast even better. This summer, we have a crazy thought that marketers, salespeople, entrepreneurs, should spend less time sitting at their desks and more time soaking up the sun. Let me explain. It starts with bringing AI-powered tools like HubSpot CRM into our workflows. The latest research says that employees who use AI are already cutting time spent on manual tasks like pulling reports or summarizing data in half from five to two and a half hours a day. That's almost four weeks a year. Incredible. HubSpot's AI-powered tools can help you work smarter, not harder, by streamlining how you do business, from research and strategy to content creation and optimization. ChatSpot and Content Assistant are baked right into your HubSpot CRM, so you can whip up reports, get copy inspiration, pull data summaries, and much more with just a simple chat command. Tap into HubSpot to stop staring at your screen and start enjoying your summer PTO. Learn more and get started today at HubSpot.com. Rory Clark, great to have you on the show today. It's great to be here, Don. You've got a a process called Focus Selling, and man, do we need more help selling to more customers. Every small business owner listening to this needs some help. Before we get into sort of your process, how did you get into this in the first place? 
you know, I wanted to be a hockey broadcaster, actually. Did you? Yeah, because I'm a hockey fanatic. And people said, no, you need to be in sales. You've got a great personality. And so I let people bully me into sales. And I remember the the moment that I wanted to die when my boss told me that I had a quota. Oh, oh my gosh, yeah. And it scared me to death. It took me about six years to really figure out what I was doing. Everything before that was just personality. I got zero direction from my leaders. And so after about six years, knowing that I was never going to get that from my bosses, I created it for myself and Focus Selling was born. Were you just turning around when you created Focus Selling? Were you turning around and saying, okay, what am I doing that's working, what's not working, and kind of build your system based on that? Five months into my first job, at CBS Radio in Chicago, I landed the largest co-op advertising program in the history of the station. Wow. And it was strictly my connection with a person at the client. That was it. So I didn't belong on that sales staff because the people who were on that sales staff were amazing at selling, and I was not. But that put me on the map. I had no idea what I was doing, and I hated that. One of the guys that was in the office next to me had pitched a job at the next level, and I was competing with him for it, and he won it. And I thought he was dumb as a stick, and I was really complaining a lot about it. And one of the guys, one of the older salespeople said, do you ever go out to drink with your boss? And I said, no, I don't drink. He said, do you drink Pepsi? I said, I do. So why don't you go out after work and have a Pepsi with him? Because I want to go home. He said, well, the guy in the room next door to you, when the boss asks him to go for a drink, what do you think he does? (laughs) I don't know. Does he go for a drink? Yeah. And then when he gets there, he cries about how miserable his life is and how he needs more money. And the boss just feeds him leads. He said, you are politically stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Rory, is that, I mean, I'm just, let me chase this. Is that because you're a little more introverted? Most definitely. And I didn't know that at the time, but that was exactly why it was. I was introverted. You know, that's interesting because you and I do have that in common. I'm not an introvert, but I am more introverted than extroverted. But authors tend to be introverted. And so what we do is our superpowers, we come up with frameworks. You created this system. First of all, what did the system teach you about yourself? Like what were you doing that was right and that you put down in the system? Well, I think I was great at connecting, but I didn't have an intentional way of doing it. You know, if I said to you, Don, you want your company to be a $100 million company. And if you're going to do that, your salespeople need to be really great at connecting. You'd say, Rory, duh, you have an amazing grasp of the obvious. But if I asked you the seven things that one of your salespeople needs to do to connect now instead of 10 months from now, you might not be able to tell me. Hmm. That's what changed for me. When I am connecting, I know exactly what I have to do to connect, and I do it the same way every time. When I have to uncover the customer's problem, I know exactly what three questions I have to ask, and I ask them all the time. And so it just becomes second nature to be phenomenal at getting what you need to advance the sale from start to finish. And, and not just the sale, the relationship. I mean, that, exactly. that sense of trust. Okay, I'm in. Now, Now I think anybody who is uh, an introverted person who's in sales or is trying to build a platform is probably about to drive off the, the side of the road here. Help us know what do we need to do 
in order to connect with people. You mentioned three questions that you ask in order to unearth the, the person's problem. Is that part of it? Is that step one? No, well, step one is connecting. And there are seven questions. I call them the seven suspicion questions. Okay. And so I'm looking at you and I'm smiling because adults are big phonies. Yeah. <laughs> but inside, my arms are crossed and I'm frowning and my guard is up. And there's some things that I have to know to be able to let my guard down. Well, what do they want to know? They want to know what the two of you have in common. They want to know if you're their kind of person. And that connects to dress, manners, and speech. They want to know what the objective of the meeting is. They want to know the agenda for the meeting. They want to know your motives. They want to feel safe and they want to be in control. Yeah, but there are specific things that make them feel safe, like motives. They want to know what's in it for you to have the meeting and what's in it for them to have the meeting. Got it. Now they know that there's something in it for them, but what we don't do ever as salespeople is say, and here's what's in it for me to have this meeting. Hmm. And when we withhold that information, it heightens the tension and it heightens the suspicion. And how do you break that to the person that you're talking to how do you let them know what's in it for you without, I don't know, that that's very counterintuitive, right? It is. Uh, that I got a, I get a big commission and there's a bonus this month if we hit our quota. So I'm really desperate to close this one. I mean, you yeah. know, if that's what's in it for you, I mean, what you know, <laughs> how do you say that in the well, course of I would, this meeting? I would say it exactly that way. And the funny thing is, in your head, you would think, well, I would never say that to somebody. But then one day you just decide, I'm going to say that. And then you'll watch them do this. They'll go. <sighs> hmm. See, they were thinking it anyway. Right. And when you made it explicit, then all of a sudden <sighs> they let their guard down. Because, the, you know, I, I really believe and it's been a life principle of mine to trust the truth. Also, the great thing about the truth is it builds relationships with the right people. Yeah, it does. Okay, so that's uh, let's just consider that one strategy of focus selling is to put all the cards on the table and say, here's what's in it for you. And by the way, here's my incentive for actually having this conversation because here's what's in it for me. That's right. Now that they've let their guard down because you've communicated these seven things, then we go to uncovering the customer's problem. And when I write the book on uncovering, it's going to be called Shut Up and Get Rich. <laughs> <laughs> because what you're doing during uncovering is you're inviting the customer into a sacred room. And you can, in that room, either be a wolf or a shepherd. You're a shepherd if you're leading them to tell you everything with no interference. You're a wolf if as soon as they tell you one thing they have, you start bashing them over the head with your product and your offering. Hmm. And that's what most salespeople do. They can't wait to get to the part where they talk. Well, if you put connecting and uncovering together, which is really 70% of the sale, yeah, and they are Siamese twins, when you finish uncovering with the customer, they've told you everything you need to know to be able to win. And then all of a sudden you realize that selling is not about convincing people. It's just about finding out what they want and giving it to them at a profit. It's hmm. so easy, but all of the self-focused views of selling is, well, you got to pitch them and you got to close them and you got to overcome their objections. That's all a bunch of crap. 
And not only is it a bunch of crap, but salespeople don't actually like doing that. Yeah. How do you know they're not done uncovering? I mean, are there questions that you're asking to sort of get them to open up more and more and more about their pain points and their frustrations? Yeah, absolutely. So let me tell you the three questions that are the three most important questions that'll give you 80% of the information. Okay. I'd love that. First question is, in this project we're talking about, what's your desired situation? The next question is, what are some of the obstacles that are keeping you from getting to your desired situation? And then the third question is, what's the cost of keeping the current situation the same? Now you'll notice there's one question that's missing, which is what's your current situation? If you followed salespeople around and wrote down every question they asked, 75 to 90% of those questions are about the current situation. There's no money there. Hmm. All you're doing is, is getting history and taking the customer into the very thing that they're frustrated about as opposed to getting them to dream about what they really want and what the solution is. Yeah. Now, after you, you know that those are the three questions, here's the point that you were getting at. So I'll say to you, Don, for this project we're working on, what's your desired situation? You'll tell me the superficial part of that. And then I'll ask you, what else do you want? And then you'll tell me a little more. And then I'll say, what else do you want? And then you'll tell me a little more. And I'll keep asking you, what else do you want? until you get to the real thing you want. After you've peeled off all the junk, that's called questioning for meaning. But that's not what salespeople do. They rapid fire one question after another, and they only get the surface, and they never get down to what the real situation is. What else do you want? What's your desired situation? What else do you want? What else do you want? What else do you want? And you just simply write down word for word everything they're saying. Then at the end, you type it all up, you get on the phone with them the next day and say, here's what the exact thing you told me. Please correct any misunderstanding I have. The minute they write on it, the game is over. Why? Because your competitors are not listening to them. They're jumping them every time they say anything that is connected to their product. They're not writing notes and showing the person exactly what they said. The person doesn't feel heard. The person's guard was up the whole time. And the thing that's so funny about it, Don, is that salespeople absolutely love it because it's no pressure. It's no manipulation. It's just shut up, hear what they're telling you, write it down and show it to them. And when I go in to teach 20, 30-year salespeople, they're like, oh, what's this guy going to teach me? Right. And then they learn this and they come up to me about, midway through the first day and say, man, if I had known this when I was 20, I wouldn't be here with you today. <laughs> Selling is the profession where you can have the lowest education level and absolutely no training whatsoever and make a ton of money. Not just money. I mean, you could run a nonprofit that changes the world. You could run for office. You could, you know, if you understand how to connect with people tease out what they need and deliver on what they need. Yeah. There's a lot more than just sales. I mean, that's parenting, that's good relationships, you know, on and on and on. Imagine even just in friendships, sitting down with a beer with a buddy and just saying, man, what, what do you, like, if you could have one thing right now, what would it be? You know, why do you want that? Yeah. Entrepreneurs on Fire, hosted by my friend, John Lee Dumas, is available now on the HubSpot Podcast Network, I love 
John Lee Dumas. I love him as a person. I love him as a thought leader. I love him as just an entertaining personality in the business space. Entrepreneurs on Fire stokes inspiration and shares strategies to fire up your entrepreneurial journey and create the life you've always dreamed of. If you like fast-paced and packed with value stories, this is the show for you. In fact, check out this recent episode called How to Build a Multi-Million Dollar Business in Less Than a Year by Raising Money from Influential Investors. On that episode, John Lee Dumas talks with Lisa Odenweller, founder and CEO of Chroma Wellness, who breaks down how to craft a vision and mission that won't get lost in the day-to-day operation of your business, as well as how you can transform everyday customers into advocates who willingly spread the word of your brand to their friends. Listen to Entrepreneurs on Fire wherever you get podcasts. You're going to love it. And now back to the show. All right, let's get back to helping people make it with a framework. Once we tease out and understand, okay, this is what's really bothering this person. This is what's driving them crazy. What's the next thing the sales rep, after they they really hear the customer's pain, what's the next thing they need to do? It's a thing that they never do. And that is find out what their alternatives are. Huh. It's funny to me because a lot of the people in the selling profession are former athletes. And so they really believe that selling is competitive. So they call the people that they're uh, selling against competitors. They aren't competitors. Competitors, a competitive game is one where you are wearing a different color uniform than the others. And you can see them, you can video them, you know exactly what their tendencies are and what their moves are. Selling is not that way. You never see the person that you're selling against. Okay, so then there's the game of Survivor. Survivor is a competitive game with a cooperative element. I'm going to cooperate with you right up to the point where I cut your throat because there's only one sole survivor. Right. Right? Well, selling is not that either. Selling is a cooperative game with a competitive element. I'm cooperating with the customer that I see, but the customer has alternatives. So I never call the people who are selling to the customer to competitors. I call them alternatives. And my job is to make sure that I'm a better alternative than they are. Huh. Well, there's only one way to do that, Don. You have to look at them from behind the customer's eyes. What does the customer see in them? So the next part is asking the customer, who else are you considering? What do you like most about them? What do you like least about them? Wow, you ask at that point blank. Yeah, absolutely. Have you ever run into a situation where they've been buying from this person for five years and, and you know, they go to hockey games with this person and there's a friendship and you know, you're kind of the guy coming in, moving in on their territory. What, I mean, what do you do in those? You, you'll ask those questions the same. Absolutely. Because if you don't, you have no chance to win. And if you just concede that just because they're going to hockey games with somebody that they're completely satisfied with what they're doing with them, I don't think they are. And that's why you ask the test the extremes questions. You say, okay, what do you like about them? They'll tell you what the current situation is. And then you say, what do you wish were different? There's the opportunity. Wow. Okay. So this is becoming a system here. So we got a problem that we've unearthed with a series of questions. We're analyzing their alternatives and you want to know what's going right with their alternatives and what is going wrong. And when we get to what's going wrong, we've got some opportunities here. If you want what I have to offer, 
then that's great. And if you don't, that's great. But it's not going to be because I didn't put myself in the best position to help you. So after you have gotten them to let their guard down, after you have found out what their problem is, after you know what their alternatives are, now you're in the position to create a solution. If you don't have a solution, you bow out. If you do have a solution, now we get to the proposal. And the proposal has to do three things. It has to advance your offering. It has to say, here's what you told me you want when I was uncovering. Here's what I have that can do this. And here's why it is infinitely better than your alternatives. And rather than saying better, I say different. It's infinitely different from your alternatives. Well, if I don't know what your alternatives are, I can't do the third part. The third part's the key. Hmm. Because I want to advance my offering while devastating their alternatives. I want them to know that there's no better alternative for them than me. Wow. And that's another expertise. It's called differentiating. It sounds like an important part of the proposal. It is. When you're selling, you have to be answer, able to answer the question, what makes your offering different? All right. So just tactically, Rory, you send this proposal and I'm, you know, these days you're emailing it. What's your next move after you send that proposal? There is no way that I would ever email a proposal to anybody. You, you don't email. Okay. Now I'm very curious because everybody listening is emailing this thing. Yeah. Well, that's why they're losing. Look, if you have 10 opportunities, you're going to win three of them no matter what. And you're probably going to lose three of them no matter what. But then there's the swing four. Right. And great salespeople win seven out of 10 and sometimes eight out of 10. They win stuff that they're not supposed to. So if you, you want to email the proposal and do what everybody else is doing, yeah, you're going to win three. Great. I'm not into winning three. I'm into winning seven. Right. So I'm going to set up a time to talk to you. My proposal is go it's going to be obvious to you in the proposal that I heard you in the uncovering. I'm going to include quotes that you actually said. So there's no way you're going to be able to refute them. You said you want this. Here's what we have. You said you want this. Here's what we have. It's so easy. And I'm presenting it to you. And now, after I've presented it to you, now I'm going to get to hear what you think about it. And I'm not going to listen to you tell me, oh, well, let's talk in two weeks. No, this is a one-time only offer. <laughs> we're not talking to two weeks. We're talking now. We're looking at this right now. Tell me what you like about it. Tell me what you don't like about it. And, you know, what's, what's interesting there is you've already started the negotiation process. Well, it's even bigger than that, Don. Negotiating is typically thought of as what we do when we're talking about the money. That's not what negotiating is. Negotiating is the whole process of any face-to-face -face interaction with a customer. 85% of negotiating is the human component of it. Then there's the solution. That's 10% of it. It's like falling off a log. And then there's the agreement. When people think of negotiating, they don't think of it as the whole relationship. All right. This is fascinating. So right there in the room, you're actually talking to them and you're saying, here's my proposal. You know, when there's a lot of money at stake, you're delivering it in person. You're talking through the proposal with them. Yes. And they come to the conclusion, this is a pretty good proposal. Normally, they're going to want to walk away and say, give me two weeks. I want to think about this. I want to talk to my boss about it. I want to crunch some numbers. What's your move there? You don't want to take two weeks. You want this off of your desk. 
So what are the next steps that you think you're going to take and how can I help you with those steps? Because you don't want this hanging around your life for two weeks. You want this off the table, which is exactly what they want. They don't want to think about this for another second. So let's say that they come back and they say, well, Rory, I'm not the decision maker on this. What I would do is use another expertise that's in focus selling called aligning. Now, most people sell from the bottom up. We recommend that people sell from the top down. That's where the most influential people are in the organization. When you're selling from the bottom up, you're selling typically to people who have no influence. And when they say, I've got to check with somebody else, that's typically an indication they don't have influence. They may have a budget, they may have an initiative, and they may have the ability to commit to a supplier, but they may not have any influence. And if they don't have influence in their own organization, then they're not trusted in their own organization. I don't sell to people who aren't trusted in their own organization. You're going to go up above that person. When I'm calling on an organization that's the size that you're talking about, there are typically seven people that participate in the decision. I'm going to know all of them. I will have interviewed all of them, and I will have assessed what their level of influence is. And you used a term, decision maker. There's no such thing. That's one of the self-focused terms that salespeople use to lie to themselves. Because nobody in an organization who has any sense whatsoever is going to take on all the responsibility of being the final decision person. What they do is they use their influence to get other people on board with them so that if this goes south, they're not on the boat alone. What you're looking for is who are the people that are participating in the decision and at what level of influence will they exert on the decision? Well, some of these folks, though, they're calling you. They're calling you and they're saying, hey, we're interested in this. And, you know, you, you don't know anybody at this company. And so you might not have that, you know, that ability, especially if it's like a, you know, $10,000, $20,000 sale that, you know, would cost you more to go build these relationships than it would to close this particular deal. What do you do with the person who, you know, they're head of their entire division and they want to bring you in, but they do have to approve this in a larger learning budget. You know, how would you get through that particular call? Well, when you start, you're asking them who else are they going to consult and you interview those people. So you literally just call, you call those folks, you call whoever they're going to consult and you, you let them know, hey, I talked to so-and-so and this is what we're thinking. And you just get to know, get to build those relationships. That's right. And even easier than that is having them set the meetings up for me. Hmm. And so now let's say that you're working with this head of the division that you're talking about and you call and he won't answer. What do you do then? Well, you've got three other people that you can call and find out what's going on with them. Yeah. Rory, what do we do to close this deal now that we've we've got them super interested? They understand the deal points. They know you're a better alternative. What are some things that you do to actually just close the sale? I've got bad news for you. <laughs> so you don't close sales. We don't close sales. The customer closes. That's one thing that we absolutely don't control. And so if you don't have the law of large numbers on your side, you're dead. What does that mean, law of large numbers? The law of large numbers is if I want to win one deal predictably, and let's say that you assign a quota to your salespeople and you say, you need to do $1 million in sales this year. 
if they're going to put math on their side, which is completely predictable, they have to go find $10 million in opportunities. They need to pitch $3 million in opportunity to have the chance to deliver $1 million predictably. Right. Because they don't control when the close happens. You know, if we're competitive in sales, we, we like, oh, I closed them. We like that whole mythology. You don't close Jack. What you do is you run a great process, and at the end of that process, the customer gets to decide if they want to buy you or if they don't. They're actually in charge of closing that. Let's say you had three deals going and you pitched one of them and you're depending on that one to close, you're dead from a predictability standpoint. That's not predictable. That's why forecast meetings, when you inject the law of large numbers into forecast meetings, there's no way for the salespeople to lie to you. Because <laughs> they should be closing X, X percentage or those closes should be happening. Yeah, if they don't have 10 and they're expecting to close one predictably, it's not going to happen predictably. They're hoping that there is a God. <laughs> Rory, if people want to find out more about you or get some more of your consulting, where would they go? To GoFocusSelling.com, I just launched my Donald Miller website. I'm so proud of myself. I used one of your coaches. It just launched about two weeks ago. Okay. Well, you should be seeing more sales then, predictably. I'm so happy. <laughs> I am so happy. When I ran into your material, I was in heaven because you are the consultant of clarity and you make how to run a business and how to market a business so crystal clear that even a caveman could do it, honestly. <laughs> and I just love that about you and about what you have to offer. And it really inspired me to start marketing my business. Oh, well, I'm so glad. And I, and I don't have any doubt, just based on the wisdom that you have given us today, you are worth talking to. So if folks go to gofocusselling.com, they can find out a great deal more. Rory, it's been a wonderful conversation. I'm already rethinking the... I, I, I got off a sales call to do this interview, and I'm getting back on one. <laughs> so I'm going to take some of your, your strategy here and use it. But grateful to know you, Rory, and, and hope to see you in person again soon. Thank you. It was my pleasure to be with you. And this was really exciting for me. All right. Thanks, Rory. It's obvious why just his charisma closed so many sales. He's just a really likable guy. You know, you can go to gofocusselling.com to learn more. However, let me summarize what I feel like he said in our actual conversation. The reason I'm doing this is because uh, we always have a plan of action at the end of every episode, something you can do, something tangible you can do to bring in more revenue for your small business. Here's what Roy says. You want to start with the problem and you want to find out what is frustrating people and you want to dig into that a little deeper than you normally would. Why is that frustrating? How is that frustrating you? Get to the heart of the problem. We all know to do that in sales, but what was really groundbreaking for me, if there was one thing that was really groundbreaking for me, it was the next thing that he said to do. And that is ask about the customer's alternatives. What else is there for you? What else is there? And tell me what you like about the alternatives that you're currently using or that you're considering. And then tell me what the weaknesses are in those alternatives. Next, you're going to differentiate yourself from the alternatives in the form of a proposal. And you're not going to email that proposal, especially if it's a big sale. Now, if it's a small sale, I'd say email the proposal. But if it's a, a big sale and it's really important, you're actually going to go to the person, preferably sit down with them show them the proposal and go through it with them. 
And at that point, you are going to ask for the sale. And if they've got to do other things, got to run it up the flagpole or whatever, you are going to want to build relationships with the people that they are going to talk to. That's another groundbreaking idea. Normally, we would just walk away and sort of cross our fingers and hope good things happen. But Rory is saying, no, you want to influence every customer touchpoint on this process. And so even those ideas, those three ideas, really, the problem, what are the alternatives, and then spelling that out that in person through a proposal and also influencing, I guess four ideas, influencing every aspect of, of where that, how that sale is going to go through, all great stuff for a plan of action. My guess is, as you listen to this interview, you were thinking about a specific sale. And I would just encourage you to do these things. We all knew to start with a problem. Most of us probably didn't think to ask about alternatives. Most of us were going to send some sort of deal points memo rather than a proposal that defines what those alternatives are and why you are better. And almost none of us were going to build relationships with everybody inside the organization to actually close those sales. If you have a big proposal that you are sending out, I think this just dramatically changed what's in that proposal. And I think it dramatically influenced whether or not you're going to get that deal. So best of luck to you on that. And again, Rory Clark, thank you so much for coming on the show. All right, everybody. Thanks as always for listening to the Business Made Simple podcast, where we are obsessed with helping you grow your small business. Help us make the show even better, if you will. Just go to businessmadesimple.com slash survey and give us your feedback. What could we be doing better? What topics do you want to hear about? Let us know. Just go to businessmadesimple.com slash survey. All right, everybody. See you next week.